Recorded live from the WAYOFM.org studios in the fabulous Fetter Building in Rochester, New York. Welcome to Transformation Thursday. I'm Amy Stevens and my pronouns are she, her. And I'm Penny Sterling and my pronouns are she, her as well. In this podcast, we take an objective look at dramatic change. And as two transgender women, we know a thing or two about that. And we'll talk about transgender issues on this show in a way that we think will be both informative and entertaining. But we'll also be looking at the amazing number of radical changes we're experiencing in our society as well. Hey, Amy, two comedians walk into a studio. Penny, now is not the time to tell a joke. We're doing an intro. No, I mean, two comedians just walked into the studio. Ralph Tedda and Woody Battaglia. They're our guests today. Oh, that's right. Woody and Ralph are here to talk about the changes that we're seeing in the stand-up comedy world. And as comedians, Penny, this is a subject that hits really close for both of us. Well, it's important for me to discuss, but I'm not a comedian. I'm a storyteller. Tell me the difference. As a storyteller, if I say something and you don't laugh, I I don't care. Well, audiences are really good at not laughing at your material. Is that a dig? That felt like a dig. No, that's just my way of telling you it's time for the music to swell and fade out. talk about change, Amy. Okay, let me see. It looks like I've got three quarters, a nickel, a Canadian loony, and a few British tenors from when I was in London because I'm an international comedian. No, not that change. Change is in transformation. The topic of Transformation Thursday. Oh, yeah, that. Well, we're doing this podcast to highlight how much things change and how quickly they do it in society today. Everything changes and change isn't good or bad. It just is. The more we realize that change is just the natural progression of things, the better off we'll be. Now, let's talk about change. Didn't we just do that? No, no, not the last one. The first one. The coins. Money. About how people can give us some of theirs so that we can continue talking about ours. Are you just trying to get people to go to our Patreon page to support this podcast so that we can continue our exploration of what it means to live in a rapidly changing world? Because although this is a labor of love we do have expenses and by going to transformationthursday.com they can help ensure that we can continue to be bringing this fun and insightful commentary on the world today plus get exclusive patrons only content um if i say yes can we get on to our next segment oh god i hope so okay then transformationthursday.com also can you break a 20 for me sure i can get that to you in euros okay now you're just showing off There's more to think about besides material. Really? Like what? Holding for laughs. What are you doing? Taking notes. Holding for laughs. Uh, Work in the room. Work in the room. Dealing with hecklers. How to enter, how to exit, how to use a mic. Mics can be very tricky. You you ever heard of Joey Lewis? Of course. They say mobsters cut his face because he didn't want to do a club date? Nope. Tripped on a mic cord. What? 30% of all comics die from cord-related injuries. That's not true. Well, it's up there. Welcome back to Transformation Thursday. That was a clip from the first season of Amazon Prime's award-winning show, The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, where Midge Maisel gets sage advice from her new manager, Susie Meyerson. 30 years ago, I gathered up every gram of courage I had, went into a dark and smoky basement under a bar on a Thursday night, and signed up for my very first open mic. I 
I did okay. I got more laughs than I expected. And when I got off the stage and stumbled to the back, a guy came up to me, put his arm around me, and started giving me pointers and tips about the business, about waiting for the joke to land, and stage presence, how to enter, how to exit. My very own Susie Meyerson. That comedian was Ralph Tedda. I dropped out of the comedy scene a few years later, but Ralph made a career out of it, so much so that for the last year's Rochester Fringe Festival, Ralph did a hilarious retrospective show on his life on the road. Ralph's joining us today to bring his road dog perspective on the way comedy has changed and the way it stayed the same. And last year, before I started my fabulous career as an international comedian, I took a comedy class taught by Mr. Woody Bataglia. He teaches an amazing class here in Rochester. He teaches the basics of stage mechanics, joke writing, and practicing your material. And he, along with other local comics here, provide feedback to class participants. Invaluable stuff. The class was so good, I used a video for my class's graduation show to get my two gigs in London, England this last spring. Ralph and Woody, welcome to Transformation Thursday. Hello. Hi. Thank you. I think that was the most understated hello we've ever had on the yeah, show. It was like 10, 11 episodes. I, th I think they were just overawed by the by the verbiose uh, introduction that you, we gave both of them. It was quite flattering. There's a lot of there's a lot of lead on this show. Yeah, I know. Well, that's well, we can do however long we want. It's not like it's not like some radio programs where you got to be in and out at a specific time. Oh yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Now we have to stop because we have to uh, take a nod to our sponsors, the King Biscuit Flower Hour. <laughs> King Biscuit Flower. Oh my. Ralph, you're dating we yourself. We haven't been in stores in 30 years. <laughs> uh, very nice. Pick up some today. I thought we had to stop to go to the bathroom, but... No, I already <laughs> did that. So, Ralph... Oh, I have to stop to get some new Coke from the... <laughs> yeah, um, that's wonderful. So, yeah. Ralph, do you remember that moment? Because it was indelible in my memory, because I was so terrified. And you just went back there and you talked to me like I was... Uh, a, a peer, like I was actually a comedian, like you were saying, you're going to yeah. do this, you're going to come up to this, and this is going to happen, and you're going to say the same material tomorrow that you said today, and it's going to bomb, and you're not going to know why. Do you remember? Yeah, I really do, and, you know, I, this, I'm not, you know, blowing smoke, but if I came up to you and talked to you, it's because I saw potential, because if people were there and didn't have potential, I didn't mess with them, because it was just a waste of my time, but you definitely had uh, you know, whatever it was, you, you made me say, okay, let me go talk to this person and, you know, try to, try to give some pointers. Cause at that point, eh, you know, I'd been doing it, I, God, a year and a half, maybe. Yeah. You were an old man as far as I was concerned. At the same time, it, it wasn't, you know, a year and a half isn't nothing. It's, you yeah. know, it's definitely, you definitely pick up the, you know, the tricks of the trade, so to speak. But, uh, yeah, kind of, it went exactly how you said. Yeah. So, yeah. And so, <laughs> so the, the nickel tour of your life on the road. So you at that point are already starting to get gigs. And can you just like, in a like in a, like if you were in an elevator and trying to pitch, what would you say about your career? Oh my gosh. Well, uh, uh you know, I started out doing things locally and then, uh, eventually, uh, and you know, eventually we're, we're talking about, you know, 15 years or so, something like mm -hmm. that. I started getting opportunities to tour across the country, and then I've spent a lot of time working at colleges. Along the way, I spent two years as George Carlin's road manager, so I learned a lot about theater shows. Uh, and then since then, I've been performing in theaters as parts of tours, either you know the Bad Boys of Comedy, which is an Italian-American cast of comics, and... Uh, uh, working with uh, uh, the the nobodies of comedy, which was the best comedians you've never heard of, packaged together as a tour and traveling across the country doing that, and uh, it you know looking back, 
uh, you know, I, I didn't become famous, so to speak, but I've always earned a living. And so for that, I am incredibly thankful. And, and comedy has, well, maybe not comedy itself, but the mechanisms and the way comedy uh, has, has, has been presented to the world has changed so much since we started. It's unrecognizable even from the last 10 years. Yeah. Ten, I, 10 years ago, completely unrecognizable. Clubs that used to be there, no longer there. Uh, booking agents that used to be, you know, good for 30 weeks of work, gone, retired, shuttered. And, you know, the whole, you know, the whole way that comedians find work, find stage time, uh, try out material. You know, there's still things. There are still open mics. There are still comedy clubs. There are comedy nights. There are still colleges that book comedians. Uh, but it's way different, way, way different in, as far as what's emphasized and, and where those opportunities are. Yeah, I was, uh, as we were reminiscing before we started, I, when I did that open mic, there were three comedy clubs in Rochester, all pretty much within walking distance of each other. Because comedians can't afford cars. Exactly. <laughs> there were, I was actually, I was listening to John Stewart and Dennis Leary. Dennis Leary was on The Daily Show back when John Lewis was doing, John, John, Stewart was doing the uh, the hosting, and they were reminiscing, and they actually talked about Rochester and about the fact that they they did that, and and this is all downtown, and they were looking for a place to eat, and they came across like two sex shops, so like so, they, and and there was no food any place, and they're like, yeah, three comedy clubs. Two, two places to buy dildos, but no place to get a submarine sandwich. Yeah. In downtown Rochester. If you're used to New York City, yeah, Rochester is quite the culture shock. Yeah, and comedy has been completely different. And that's where we're going to... You are saying about that. but and, and like now with comedy, there is so much more... If you're just looking at the sheer volume of places as a, as a comedian person trying to, to start out in comedy, there are... There's like... There's, a, there's stand-up comedy. There's comedy shows every night... Uh, of the week almost and one of the people that is really responsible for that is Rochester's own impresario the uh, the voted the funniest man in Rochester or is selected as the funniest man by city newspaper uh, Woody Battaglia Hi, it's me. Uh, I, <laughs> Rochester's a, impresario. A couple, of, a couple of points of clarification. Yes, I was called impresario uh, by City Newspaper. Uh -huh. uh, that was very nice of the, the author, Dan Kushner, to say that. Uh, number two, uh, my name is a silent G in it. With uh, Batalia. Yeah. Okay, I've been lied to by Amy then. Oh, I messed up. Because I thought I thought it was Battaglia. You know, no, it's it's Battaglia, and he's very uh, very specific about that. I know. I thought, oh, I thought I very, feel, I'm very specific about the I silent G that bad. I was mentioning. Now, you. now, well, now, now you, we have to re-record re everything. No, 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 no you just don't. threw please me under no. the bus. There, no. Amy's all that happened. That's not what my best friend is supposed to do. I was like, no. wow, they both they both did it. Well, I thought. Well, no, I I because I, I remember when we were talking about you, and I thought I thought it was Battaglia, and she goes, no, it's Battaglia, and he's very specific about it. Okay, that's specific wrong yeah. <laughs> your comedy class graduation certificate has been revoked <laughs> yeah, 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 I'm sorry uh, and also you have to pay me again <laughs> um, no uh, uh, number, that's it's not that big a deal I just thought it would be funny to mention uh, number three uh, number three is oh uh, it's uh, city newspapers uh, best stand-up 
comedian is right. the is the official yeah. uh, title, and that is literally I was voted by readers of city newspapers. Lord, so it's not, right? Yeah, it, I know. It's a it's a it's a meaningless. The only meaning is that I had a more recognizable name than the other uh, three candidates. Well, being an impresario, of course, that is what that's why it happens. That's yeah, those are those are things that are impresarios. Right, because I, I with put, a silent and G. all that means is I put shows on. Yeah. <laughs> so so are you saying that's actually impresario? Is that what it? Is? Yeah, that's right. That's right. You put the yeah put the G into the word impresario and I thought take it out I thought of. impresario was womanizer, but you you. Do it in the voice of a celebrity. <laughs> <laughs> well, like Pepe Le Pew? <laughs> well, maybe maybe more famous than that. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, I can't believe the show is getting out of control of us. I don't know how that happened. I don't, I don't know but, either. So you are, are kind of like the, 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 the pop-up show. I mean, there's so many ways that things have changed. And I'm seeing this, at least in the Rochester area, as a, a very large change in comedy culture, because not only is it there are so many places that are available to do comedy, comedy is available to a lot more people and a lot more people across the board. Um, okay. A lot more women, a lot more uh, minorities are available to come out because I think it's because the stakes are so low, quite frankly. You think because the stakes are so what, – what would make the stakes higher? The stakes higher would be, okay, we have a comedy shop, and so we're going to find somebody, and there's going to be an arbiter there. There's going to be a gatekeeper who's going, no, you're not funny. I can't, I can't, fill, the cro- I can't fill a room with your kind of comedy. Hmm. But now you've got people who, who, who are performing outside of that who actually get to figure out what their kind of comedy is and actually start to work using their kind of comedy. Madeline Smith, for example, your your co-host in one of your podcasts is yeah. is a great example of somebody who, because there was not that boys club thing, was able to move out and is starting to actually work as a comedian. Yeah. And no, Madeline Smith is great. She, she recently moved to New York City where she is, I mean, she has an agent. She is uh she's uh, done the comedy seller uh she uh, got a contract to uh, to do cruise trips and she's only been doing comedy for doing stand up for 6 years yeah but, but let's also be honest about this right. i don't i don't think it's necessarily her access to stage time she also put the work in before that you know she has a theater degree uh, so that's very true no yeah like so Madeline is she a, came in with tools for sure and that's why she's been able to uh, you know, move up the ladder, so to speak. Yeah. Um, and, and that can't be discounted because stage time by itself isn't anything other than, okay, here's your permission. Right. It doesn't, I it mean, doesn't guarantee success. Yeah. You can Cause get you on, can get on stage and do the same horrible thing hundreds, a thousand times at an open mic. That's thousands. why it's an open mic. And we yes. see people that do that every week. Sure. I mean, I see people who are stuck in their rut and they're fine with it because they, and, and I mean, some of them are a little, uh, have some misplaced uh, expectations based on, you know, or, or maybe they're uh, lack the self-awareness to see that what they're doing isn't going over. Uh, or maybe they're just not interested in, in doing it on a, on a larger scale and that the, the open mics, you know, scratching the itch for them and that's fine. And this may be an unpopular uh, opinion. Oh, I think I know where else going. Well, no, but I mean, <laughs> gatekeepers aren't always bad, particularly for the for the uh, business, sure. Because if somebody is flapping around like a drowning person, you know, at some point somebody has to say, "Now listen, you know, let's get you centered, let's get you focused, or you know, let's let's discuss 
you know, should you keep doing this? Yeah. Right. I, I don't disagree with that. Uh, my, my, my issue is that there are so many places where it is a, where you are able to figure that out, where you are able yes, to, true. to do the work. When I was coming up, there was Thursday night and that was the only time that I could do it. Right. And I was, I was competing for space with X number of comedians. Sure. And so there was a, there was a much harder thing and it was, and it was, I, I can barely think of a, of, of a, of, of a single, of like, like one black comedian and one woman comedian. Everybody else was white dudes. Back yeah. then I was a white dude too. And it was just really hard to do it. But you know, Amy is now a, a transgender comedian. She's like going around. She's doing a lot of work. She's been in New York. She's going to London. She's still, still learning the roast, but she's got that chance to do it. Um, I, I think that there has been a, there is an ability to practice and do the work and get the time. And if you are good, you are able to uh, to, to hone things up. Going back to to Ralph's point, though, one of the things that's important to say is doing the work. I mean, I don't think this this does not happen by accident. And so. I posted something recently about going to London again in November and December, and I have a couple gigs lined up. I'm trying to line up some more. I'm going to be there for nine nights. I'm going to try to line up some opportunities. And I had a friend message me on Facebook saying, I'm lucky to be able to go to London and perform. And I said, fortunate maybe, but you also, I took Woody's class. I started going to open mics. I keep practicing. Did the work. I, I'm doing the work. Yeah. I understand the sentiment, but. Saying I'm lucky takes discounts all the work that we put into it. Sure. And so I think that's what most people don't realize. It really is work. And we were talking about this before we got started, and I think we can bring this back in and say, okay, so when we look at famous comedians and the work that they do, you know, how often are they going to really put into work? How much are they resting on their laurels? I mean, how much, Ralph? I mean, you've been doing this for 30 years, and you just said you're writing more now in the last few years than you ever did. So how much work are you putting in? Yeah, well, I will tell you that, uh, you know, I write out of, you know, habit. It's habit to, you know, constantly be, you know, putting stuff down on paper, but also uh, out of fear, believe it or not, because I've seen a lot of comedians of my generation or people who started out the same time that I did who just fell by the wayside or they, they've never grown and they've never given a, a booking agent or a club any reason to want to bring them in. Their material is archaic. Their, their point of view is uh, Neanderthal. <laughs> I mean, it, you can't survive uh, without allowing you know, yourself to evolve, but also, you know, to keep putting in that work. And, you know, and I, and I am, I will say I am lucky because I've been given an opportunity to manage a place and write the schedule for that place and book that room. I put myself on stage anytime I want. And not a lot of people get that opportunity. So, you know, the, and the only reason I made it that far was I'd been given or, you know, whatever, I'd done the work but had opportunities wherever I could get on stage. If I, if there was only one open mic a week, as Penny, you correctly uh, point out, then I found other places, whether it was, you know, I was a student at MCC and I found my way on stage there as many times as I could. Uh, I talked my way on at music open mics. I, you know, would go up when the piano player would take a break and I would go up and I would do a set. 
I would literally, you know, force myself <laughs> upon <laughs> audiences, you know, and, but I wouldn't, you know, I would still go in there knowing that I had a responsibility to make them laugh. But yeah, it's, it's nicer now that there are numerous platforms that there are every night of the week somewhere that you can go and try out and work out. Yeah. I still get frustrated though out of, you know, out of hobbyists because what, what it feels like to me is that if you do have people that are going up there as a hobby comic because they enjoy it and they enjoy the self-expression, well, that's, that's going to be bad in general because if you've got folks who are coming in to see the show, whether they pay a cover or not, and they go up and they see a show that is not of, you know, high quality, super, you know, everybody was great and it was laugh a minute, then it winds up subconsciously, you know, that audience member leaves the place going, wow, that kind of, that kind of sucked and I feel bad that I invested the time in that show. Uh, and now I'm not going to go and see anything live unless I know that it's Larry the Cable Guy at the Auditorium Theater. Well, yeah. And that, so that's, that's an unintended um, consequence, obviously. It, it's better, though, that there is access for, uh, what do we want to call it, not white people, not white men, <laughs> non-traditional non uh, non stand-up comic performers. Yeah. And I think that's where, and I'll jump back in here, is, you know, you mentioned Archaic, and, you know, and I, we started talking about open mics, and Woody, you know, you, you spend a lot of time curating a, an atmosphere that is safe for women, people like me to get up on stage, LGBTQ. How, how, do you, how have you done that? I mean, you've put on over 300 open mics, at one location over the last six, seven years, you know, how do you, how do you continue to curate that environment that's a positive environment for folks like me and Penny? Well, I mean, I, I think the first thing that happens is I, as the host, have to set an example. That's probably the, the number one thing that I do is I get up on stage and I don't make uh, I don't make uh, derogatory jokes about any particular groups, uh, except maybe white men sometimes. Uh, Civil War reenactors. Don't, you don't punch down. Yeah, no, punching down is a thing uh, that I try to avoid. I'm not saying that you can never do that because uh, because there are people who are famous for doing it, like uh, Don Rickles or Anthony Jeselnik or something like that. Uh, people who are like insult comics and like that's their thing. But guess what? People come to an open mic. They're not here to see me specifically and know that. And they're not. I, I don't. I'm not trying to cultivate an audience of uh, a very specific fan base like that who enjoys that kind of humor. Now. It's not saying this stuff isn't funny because I think that it is, especially if you're prepared for it. But guess who's not prepared for it? The person who wanders into a bar and there happens to be an open mic there on Tuesday night. So those people are much more likely to not be into the thing that you're doing, which uh, which appears to be mean, even if your heart is in the right place. Yeah. So I try to lead by example, not be punching down on people, try to keep the atmosphere friendly. Uh, the other thing that I do is, you know, every once in a while, I say something to somebody who's done something that I uh, that I think is bumming people out in the audience or oh, causing objectionable. Yeah. Causing people to leave um, that kind of thing. Um, yeah. yeah. So, you know, uh, like when you watch people get bummed, when you when you see a whole table or row of uh, people who get up to leave during somebody's set, you see that enough times you get very sensitive to that. I watch that in the room and. Uh, and, and you're just in your head, you're going like, I wish this person would stop doing this. And, 
you know, it's an open mic. You try to uh, you try to be fair and you try to let uh, everybody on. But there is a point at which you have to say, look, maybe we're uh, maybe we're not going to uh, do these specific things, which I know are ninety nine percent, you know, going to uh, going to bother certain people and uh, and make it hard for them to enjoy the comedy show. So let me pat you on the back too about uh, the fifty fifty show that you do, oh, where you. <laughs> I love that show. I love that show. specifically, I, Yeah, that's true. You specifically mm-hmm. cultivate an evening where you're not going to let the evening be dominated by male or male-identifying comedians. Yeah. It has to be a, a one-to-one ratio right. of male to female uh, or female-identifying. Uh, female yeah, yeah, yeah. And, it, that, and that in and in of itself, I mean, that says something. It says that... Um, this is a show where, uh, and I, I, I don't know what to call it. I don't, I don't think it was safe space isn't the right word. Uh, safe but space is, is such a loaded term. I hate that. I, I've, yeah. I've grown it, to not like the term safe space just because it's been co-opted by people who use it as a weapon against, mm-hmm. you know? Right. But it is an, it is a place where, uh, female comics who in the past have not always been, uh, persuaded or, supported or welcomed yeah. to come out and say, look, you're going to be able to come in here. And this is an, this is an evening where we are celebrating this, yeah. uh, you know, gender diversity. Right. And so, so come out. That is a huge thing. You, you wouldn't have seen that even 10 years ago. You right. would not have seen that. And, you know, part of the, the reason to do that, I mean, there's a lot of reasons to do it. Uh, one of the, one of the things that I well, first of all, one of the things that people don't realize until they see it is that is that when you watch a, a male identifying comedian followed by a female identifying comedian, we just go back and forth the whole night, hosted by myself and Madeline Smith every year, uh, except for last year where uh, uh, Jane Ives hosted with me because Madeline suddenly got an opportunity to perform with a comedy seller, and we we allowed her to do that. Of course, that you are. you're <laughs> so ma- you, as a, you are the most magnanimous impresario I've ever met. Woody. You don't want to. I was stop? like, I guess I think the uh, I think the Booker for Colbert was going to be in the audience. So yeah, you, yeah. Can't, you, you uh, don't want You definitely don't want to stomp on somebody's. Yeah, opportunity. And she, oh, she was super bummed about not being able to do it. But in any case, we do it every year. And uh, what I'll say about it is that uh, when you watch it, when you watch a show that is diverse in that way. It is amazing how much it's just like a regular open mic and how comics are comics. And that's the thing to remember is that it's not like, oh, here's a woman comedian. It's like, oh, here's a comedian and that comedians are comedians and that everybody needs uh, it would be nice if everybody had equal access and equal access is not it's not just, oh, we'll let you get on stage. It's uh, it's making people feel like that's a space where they are wanted and encouraged to come because, uh, because guess what, who goes where they feel like, Oh, that's an old boys club. You, you get some people who come, you get some women who are, who are, are female identifying people who are, or, or of other marginalized groups. You get some people who are, who are just built to overcome that kind of stuff, who, who have, uh, who have, you know, a lot of, for whatever reason, a lot of strength, determination, drive to overcome. But there are other people who, uh, who, who really need, or who would not otherwise come unless somebody had encouraged them to. And I think those people should be doing comedy as well because you get interesting other kinds of perspectives. 
And that's also part of the reason why I teach class, you know. The, the idea that, oh, you know, you shouldn't encourage, you know, women to do stand-up because, pe- you know, funny is funny and people will, you know, and, and the cream rises to the top or whatever kind of thing. It's like, you know, not really because you're you're discounting how easy it is for a man to, especially a white man, to walk into any space and feel comfortable versus, you know, how yeah. women are treated. And you've, and you've again, you've, you've walked the walk, not just talked the talk, because, you know, you've boosted Jane Ives and you've boosted Ilhan Ali, mm-hmm. you know, co-hosting shows with yeah. you on a regular basis. And, you know, and that's, that's fantastic. But again, like you probably wouldn't even have seen that just 10 years ago, right? you know, that nobody would have thought to say, uh, you know, when they would put a show together and they would say, all right, well, we have a female headliner. We, we, we have Paula Poundstone this week or whatever. Right. So now it's got to be a chick show and it's got to be, you right. know, two and other it, females on the show. Right. And it's only marketed to women because only women, only a woman would want to see right. a woman doing standup. Yeah, it's right. the matter of factness <laughs> of the, of, of the way you're, you're, you're conducting this business and it is a business. You are doing these things. These are, Oh yeah, these, no, I'm, these, a, I'm these, a for-profit. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and yeah, and you're, you're not only a for-profit, but you're also a share the wealth sort of person. These are, these are shows that People who are going there to see the show are going there to see the show. It's not like the open mic where the, there happens to be somebody coming in and and doing a and, and standing in front of a microphone right. in a bar. You're going to these are these are shows. You are trying to make a living. You are trying to increase the number of people who are actually making some money from doing this, yeah. which is not an open mic thing. And you don't and, and and there are far more people who are going to be able to get time who have talent who have skills and this than there were when. And I love. Like, I love comedy at the Carlson. I, I it, it's a great room. It's it's wonderful. It's a big and, room, and they have, and there it's a very big room. And but just you know they don't have the number. They they don't. There are, there are more people who want spots there than can get spots there. And if that was the only comedy that would be that was in town, then that would there be ten comedians in Rochester total. Exactly. Maybe, maybe because I mean that's the thing. They just they're just not built for for making a ton of opportunities for local and then and this is true for many comedy clubs because yeah. when when they're the focus of their business is we bring in a, a famous or semi-famous weekend headliner and uh, and then they might even be bringing their own feature act their own middle performer so that leaves one spot on the shows and the way that they book the shows it's the same and for consistency's sake it makes sense they have an MC who works the whole weekend so that's five or six shows, depending on how many they've they've scheduled, right? Mm-hmm. And then that's one person. So that's one person for the whole weekend, and that's basically the whole week because they're really only open on the weekend. So, okay. Uh, so the the year has fifty two weeks in it. Uh, let's say that uh, that that uh, comedian A gets uh, five weekends a year, uh, and then you've got uh, you know you got uh, nine other comedians who can have five five weekends a year. Yeah. And that's just to MC the show. That's just to open up with, you know, sometimes like seven minutes, sometimes five minutes of actual comedy material. And the rest of it is, hey, look at your comment cards and announcements. Take your way to try the veal. Yeah. Guess. Yeah. Guess who. Guess who's coming next week. Check out our website. Uh, you know, all that stuff. So. Yeah. When I was booking, it's, it's just not a lot of it's just not a lot of stage time. So so for me, like, it's not my focus to get on at a com- at at one comedy club and make yeah. that the focus of all my energies, because that's I mean, there's so much more stage time available. Otherwise, you're being overly generous, too, when you say 10, because you know, it's not I, 10. When I booked the Comics Cafe, 
I had a rotation of four MCs. Right. For yeah. the entire year, so everybody got thirteen weeks, and that was and so so every and and so there were very few comics in Rochester total, because it yeah. was there was so much attrition. I mean, you had a and you had an open mic night, yeah, right. The only time we would really ever try somebody new at that spot would be when someone would move up and move out. Like, okay, right. now I'm getting all this feature work. I'm on the road. You kind of okay. got you kind of got installed for I life. Got, I got to fill I got to fill the space in. Yeah, but as you know, that MC spot too is crucial. Yeah, you know. Oh, it is. You, I mean, you can't have somebody come out and start the show and dig a hole. It's the, hard, <laughs> it's, the it's it's the hardest job on the show. It's easier to headline a show if you have an hour of material. It's e- it's an easier haul uh, as far as like you know you're, you're not fighting with the crowd generally because they came to see the headliner. Right. And the MC has to do all this thankless, you know, busy work like you were talking about. So fill out the comment cards. Yeah. Don't forget to tip your server. Yeah, I've done this many times. And <laughs> I mean, blah, Ralph, blah. Ralph and I used to manage a, a club out in, in uh, Webster, New York. Yeah. And uh, uh, and it and you know and we it was we would take turns emceeing those shows and it's you know it's a it's a, it's a thankless job. Right, well, but it's you know, but it's at least it's it's better than a job job. I'm not, oh, oh no, no, this is all this is all better. I'm than, not uh, tossing around a coal shovel all day long. I'll do announcements <laughs> yeah, it's as long than, as you want me to do. It's better than digging ditches. Also better than working in a call center. Also better. Than, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's tough. It's it, it's the hardest job, and it's the first job you get. It's it's very funny how our how our system is. But but yeah, but yeah, like diversity and giving people opportunities. It's like I feel like that's the. That's how I, I mean. Like I'm also, I, of course, I'm trying to make money and I'm trying to have as little of a day job as possible. But I want to feel good about doing that, and I want to feel like I'm not taking up more space than I'm giving out. So that's what. So I teach a class, and listen, you know, the class is like a break-even situation. Um, you know, it's a lot of class for not that much money. But you should be charging a lot more for that. I'm, I, I'm glad I, you didn't for my well, sake, I'm, but <laughs> I'm just worried. I'm just worried if I charge more, nobody will come. What you know? the market will will bear. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm a little I'm a little afraid that if I bump it up, then uh, then it'll be like, well, two people signed up. So, Dur- you know, during the uh, during the financial collapse collapse in 2007, yeah. 2008, I was teaching. Yeah. And it, I was teaching. It was a, you know, three week course. We'd meet three nights a week. Sure. 50 bucks three nights a week huh yeah because we would you know so go basically you're doing the same thing as me but compressed yes because i'll do it for eight weeks and there are eight sessions right right but we would still have the graduation thing at the end but sure. yeah it, it it was it i was very aware that there wasn't a lot of bread floating around yeah and so you know you wanted you want it to be accessible and it it also you know like you say you don't make a lot of money doing it but it is also so crucial to somebody who's going to be a producer, which you do mm-hmm. and I do, yeah. that talent emerge. Yeah. You, you need, have to you have to see talent emerge. I need bodies for these shows. Like I need people, you know, in order to have more in order to I mean I'm helping myself and I'm helping everybody. It's like a win win for everybody to put on classes. Yeah. And people poo poo classes like, oh you can't teach comedy. It's like you can't teach people how to be funny. It's like maybe I haven't taught anybody how to be funny, but I did sit them down in a room where they're encouraged to figure it out and and a way to focus and accountability yeah accountability a little bit of hey this is what the business is like a little bit of hey this is how i write jokes like getting people getting the wheels in people's heads turning that's all like yeah. it, you know i'm not like uh you know like you weren't funny and now you are 
It's like most people, they most people have so, a sense of humor. They have something that they have to contribute. They just don't know where to find it or how to focus it. Absolutely. And that's all you're. That's all you're trying to do. You're just trying to like. You're just kind of trying to keep the car, you know, from going into the ditch. Yeah. So, Ralph, was there anybody doing anything like that? Any sort of uh, annex uh, teaching of comedy back when? Uh, when you were starting out 30 years ago, or no, is that a... there really wasn't? And you know, I mean, I, I don't know if I would have jumped on that opportunity or not. But you know, one of the things I did was, you know, I picked up every book that I could find about comedy, and there were several, and I listened to the people who were, you know, doing that kind of work already. And you then know, we'd... you had to. It was like an apprenticeship. That's as close as you would get to it. And yeah, we'd go to Coco's Carousel on a Sunday night. And work and sit down and write and yeah. bounce it around the table. Yeah. And, and you know, we had that uh, sounds like fun. comedy it was. camaraderie. Well, and again, you, you're always going to do better in a, in a team uh, situation than you're going to do by yourself because you're drawing on other viewpoints. You're drawing on other, you know, uh, uh, experiences or, you know, ways of looking at things. And but, it definitely had a, for me at least, had like a comrade in arms thing because we were all... You know, soldiers in the in the in the comedy wars is really what it felt yeah, like. Just trying to do something. Yeah. You know, we weren't going to just sit home and wonder if we were funny. We yeah. We're going to go out there and you know work our asses off and trying to you know uh, try to get yeah. Creative. So let's let's shift slightly. Turn this to uh, we're talking. We've, we've talked an awful lot about how much things have changed, and 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 I'm and I don't want anybody who's hearing this to think that I have something. I, I'm a I'm, I I don't like comedy clubs or anything like that it's they are they are an entity in and of themselves and they do what they do to make the the, the way that they can make money and it's just that it's also grateful that there are people uh like woody and there are places like that these these pop-up comedy events that are giving other people uh chances to to tell jokes and we touched about this briefly uh about people of color and minorities and talking about that um and and, and Ralph, even before we started, we we're sitting around doing a mic check. You're talking about, well, if you're 20, like you're doing like the the warning. If, if my, <laughs> my message to my message to 20 year old white guys who want to do stand up comedy is don't. Uh, and 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 part of that I think is in you guys. You don't have any. You don't have an. You don't have a perspective. Well, they do have a perspective, but it's a it's the same perspective we've heard for a while. And now we're changing perspectives as far as what is and is not funny. I mean, there are lesbian comedians who talk about being lesbian. There are transgender comedians talking about being transgender. There are uh, handicapped com comedians talking about these things, and they are being funny while being those things. They are not funny because they are those things. And there's an awareness of that that I, right. I know that you are sensitive to. Sure, sure. And I mean, I was tongue in cheek about that. Yeah, like, you know, I know you were. Hey, if you're a 22 year old white male cisgender, you know, just kill yourself. Please don't. <laughs> we don't need to. We don't I need mean, to hear what you have to say. Podcast. We don't need to hear what you have to say because you're you you've got no life experience. You haven't done anything, and well, you're, you know you're not interesting. Well, that's that, not and that's not 100. Well, guess true. what though? I I think that um, it was tongue in cheek. Oh, of course, I know. of course. I think that those that uh, that you know uh, cisgender heterosexual white men are still in charge, and they're still they're still owning the you know uh, yeah they're they're never they're gonna still, they're still owning eighty percent of the real estate and comedy right now yeah so it's like they're you know people who are bemoaning you know changes in the industry and oh nobody wants white people anymore it's like that's not really true it, at some point it might be more true but but right now. 
it's just that there's some there's some other people who are and and maybe you don't want it as much as a person who's been yeah. who's been traditionally disenfranchised from from the business. Well, you know? I can I can draw a parallel here too because you know there have been um, for a very very long time black comedy clubs. Right. Not yeah. to say that black comedians were never so they we never said white comedy clubs as right. an, as an antithesis. Yeah. We said mainstream club. Right. So a black performer would say, well, I can work in a black club or a mainstream club, meaning I can work in front of a white audience or right. a, or a, a mixed audience. But I'll say like even the, you know, the club that I manage, the, the audience is predominantly white mm-hmm. and we hire black comics, you know, by the ton. And, you know, these are the comics who have made the commitment, whatever, to, uh, to try to work anywhere. To be funny to anyone. Well, because but there's, there's but there's, the, just real fast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just let me just sharpen, oh, sure, the, pen, sure, sharpen the pencil here. Please sharpen the pencil. Is that there? Uh, you know, that has hap- That has been around for a very long time. There have been black clubs, black shows, whatever. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know that women in comedy would ever have attempted to cut out that same niche that black performers have done. I don't know if LGBT performers would want to do that, would cut out that niche. So it becomes important for opportunities and platforms to be available. Mm. Yeah. You know? And I think you said niche in there for the, I think there is a niche sure. that, that can be, I don't want to, I hate the word exploited, but I mean, there's an opportunity for somebody to harm. I mean, if you look at, the Pew research on LGBTQ population, especially in the millennial and those younger generations, you're talking 10% of the population. Yeah. And those are huge numbers. And we see it, you know, we, we see it day in and day out. There's this, uh, this huge explosion of the LGBTQ population. I would say they've always been there. They're just finally having this Visi- visible, but they're visible finally and coming yeah. out. And so I think there's that opportunity to develop a niche for those different audiences. And I think with the splintering of platforms, that it be, you know, Netflix, Amazon, and these other places, YouTube, you have opportunity, I think, like you never had before. Sure. Now, it's not the traditional sense that we were talking about with comedy clubs, but could you develop alternate venues for these places and develop the right channels for them to get expressed? Yeah, it would. And But you know what? And it would be sad if it became just some sort of, you know, pride flag chitlin circuit. That would really, yeah. I you mean, because that, that's the issue, right? The, the issue is it becoming. I, pride flag chitlin circuit sounds like a great progress right. of rock album. Because the reason, <laughs> let's, let's not forget that the reason, the reason that black clubs exist is because of a lack of opportunity for black performers in quote unquote mainstream clubs or whatever sure so yeah some some black performers are performing in mainstream clubs and those and those are the performers who are who are willing to uh depending on where i mean depending on their background you know like the uh, 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 uh generally a black club is like it's they're doing material that works well with uh with black audiences and actually like a certain kind of black audience from a certain kind you know yeah. from a certain demographic you know economically and socially and that kind of thing so you know, uh, you know, a black kid who grew up in the suburbs amongst a bunch, a bunch of white people uh, probably is going to do more mainstream work and and maybe feel right. less comfortable in a in a black club for black audiences. Right. But uh, when but when comedy clubs do make opportunities for black shows, 
they push them to, well, you, you can have Sunday. I can't right. give you a Friday or Saturday. That's yeah, yeah, my yeah. that's my ka-ching nights. Right. I can't at, give uh, that away. It's at the Laugh Factory. There's a there's a term that I cannot uh, and will not say <laughs> for so, for that particular for a particular night of the week that uh, uh, that uh, where where it's a where it's a black show basically. Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> straight derogatory. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I but I look at comedy clubs and I would say you know for comics like me who are transgender. That's a big risk to put, I think, me up in front of a traditional audience, sure. and I and I don't know if I'm speaking out of turn or no. You know what? The, no. If I like, mean, I'm just thinking about me and uh, you know the talent that I book. The only thing I would have against you is you're new, right? You, you're not, <laughs> you, you don't you don't have a wealth of material. I've never seen you work either. I got so, a good I mean, five to ten. Yeah, so I can't use you. I, I no, honestly, no, that's right. and, I, and I realize that I honestly need somebody who can who can fill 15, 20 minimum. I don't have I, it yet. And I expect right. right and I would and I would expect a performer to have more than that. Now, sure. I will say that, you know, the owner of the joint is he's older than me. And so he's got his mindset that, you know, we want to stay safe. And, you know, oh, and geez. he's and he well, and he said things he said things out loud. I hate to throw anybody under the bus here. But, you know, uh, I'll, he'll say something like. Well, a lot of people think women aren't funny because I remember uh, specifically on our Facebook page, we had this very funny uh, female performer and uh, I put up a banner photo of her on stage with a, an audience that she was just killing, absolutely right. killing. And he was like, you're going to change that photo though, right? We change it like every week or something. And I was like, no, I just put that up there because it's a great shot of this mm -hmm. performer. And he's like, well, you know, I said, people don't think women are funny. And so I don't want them seeing that and going, oh, oh that's what yeah. you guys got on stage. It's a very traditional and not in the good way, not in the good, you know, turkey and stuffing and, you know, Christmas lights, Christmas tree stuff. It's not traditional. It's a traditional way of thinking that I can't alienate my most let's face it, close-minded clientele. Yeah. These a, are the people that buy the tickets. These are the people that come in. And, these are the people with money. Yeah. yeah. And, but let's, let's bring that in. So let's, let's bring that into the big debate within comedy then. I think this is a good segue into that. So we look at the comics like Jerry Seinfeld. Um, who else could we throw in there? Um, Chris Rock, um, John Cleese. We, we were just talking about this before, mm. you know, there's uh, an article that from 2015 that you come, you chimed in on it today too. Uh -huh. But so comedy and the, the audiences and the demographics have changed. And so what worked for comics 10, 20, 30 years ago, their jokes probably aren't going to land today as well. So should the audience be catching up with or should the audiences be going backwards or is it up for us as comics to evolve with the audiences? Oh. Let me ask you straight, straight up, Ralph. Have you changed the way you present yourself and the jokes you tell and the stories you tell uh, with, with a sensitivity towards the audience? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I've realized that, um, you know, and uh, I go off and I'll play a college, and that's really challenging because, you know, I can't even, you know, do my marriage material because <laughs> it's not relatable. It's not relatable to them. So, you know, I've had to consider my audience, consider what their perspective is. Uh, I've had to consider the language I use. I used to be a very, very dirty comic. And now I'm realizing that that is, you know, I might get laughs in some, you know, bucket of blood roadhouse. But, you know, at a, at a nice club where it's the eight o'clock show and there's, you know, 
guy brings his wife out and there's tablecloths on the tables and stuff. Yeah, you can't just go out there and, you know, have that kind of have that kind of material. I used to do a joke and I even tagged it by saying, wow, that was a little rapey, wasn't it? And I realized that, yeah, that's not a joke I need to be doing anymore. I've got tons of material. Why am I doing that? But you if know, you, doing but that if you, to try to be provocative. Right. But as far as, you know, the, the material that I generate, you know, I, I've got the advantage that I've got bags of it. And so whatever crowd I get in front of, I've got something to choose from. Mm -hmm. But, you know, the, the, the other thing, too, is that, eh, you know, okay, well, I'm a comic and I should be able to say what I want on stage. No. Not really. <laughs> Not so much. No, you've, you, you've right, got a number one responsibility is to make this audience laugh. And then, so you also have to know who they are. You, you know, I go in the room 20 minutes to a half an hour early just to take a look at these people as they file in so I can see what the hell I'm dealing with. And, you know, I'll do a lot of, I'll ask a lot of questions beforehand. If I'm a guest in a, a club I've never played before or a college I've never been to, you know, I'll ask a lot of questions. Who's been here before? Who did well when they were here? You know, I, I, you have to have some due diligence. And, you know, you have to also recognize that jokes that were funny throwaway laughs like, uh, you know, 20 years ago, it's not kosher today. It's, it's not kosher. And it shouldn't be. It shouldn't be. We should be becoming more enlightened, you know, so where, you know, I used to do you know, jokes about, you know, somebody thinking I was gay and, you know, getting the laugh from that because it was awkward. Uh, but it also, it didn't portray gay people in a particularly good light. Well, it's got to go now. You don't have to do that anymore. Well, and I, and I look at that and I say, okay, so, you know, and what do you, you've talked about this in the past too, is, you know, you don't see the gay jokes like you did 20, 30 years ago. No, you you don't. And people have, by and large, stopped doing them, especially people who are professionals. And you might see something in an open mic here and there, which is, you know, something that I, I talked about recently. Let's not have any... Yeah, let's, we're, we're yeah. going there. We're, let's we're have, more but eventually. It, but, like, but, but here's what... You know, I, I personally... Yeah, people aren't doing as many gay jokes as they used to. People aren't doing... Uh, people aren't doing jokes that uh, target certain groups as much anymore. And audiences are more diverse. Like, you're... You know, you're talking about playing to audiences... That's the idea. Like, there's no yeah. no comedian has ever not been beholden to the audience in some way, you know. And it, yeah. you you have to do well at some point for somebody to want to book you on something because it is a. I mean, it's a for profit business. I mean, if you there's no comedian on earth who's 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 never had some sort of impetus to change what they are doing, right. you know. Uh, and you know, and there's no, and there's no comedian on TV you've ever seen whose work hasn't been scrutinized and uh, changed in some way. If I may, too, the the other thing that's changed incredibly, uh, and to, for to the good, mm -hmm. uh, is that you know when I was starting out, you would see comedy every once in a while on television. You'd see an HBO special, or you would, you know, you'd see a five minute set on the Tonight Show or something like that. And now with the internet and being able to go onto YouTube and basically if you wanted to become a comic, you could sit there and research all of the most successful performers of the last 
15 years mm -hmm. and pick apart and go and, and basically sit there if you were willing to invest the time and go, here's a master class in making people laugh and seeing what gets response and what, you know, what got an ooh, and what got a really, you know, what, what got not just a, a laughter, but applause and, you know, comics that started when I was doing it, what, you know, a lot of the laughs, let's face it, they were cheap laughs. They were cheap laughs, but they were still laughs because we were also dealing with an unenlightened audience. You know, the uh, uh, folks that we were performing for uh, expected a certain thing or we knew that they would respond to a particular thing because the audience is very homogenous. It's like, okay, here's all these, uh, you know, white cisgender people, yeah. and this is what they're going to respond to. Right. Well, and I think... I want to bring this up because this has been the big topic, at least on the national level. You know, Dave Chappelle's Sticks and Stones. Um, and, I, you know, I resisted watching it for a few weeks because all of the press that I've seen about it. And I sat down and I watched half of it last week. And I and I'm going to put this out. There's a transgender comic. I think I think a lot of male cis comics are afraid of being able to, or losing the ability to punch down at people like Penny and I. And that is my perspective on things. So how how do we, and I think some of those comments that can be made, and I posted this on, on my personal Facebook page, some of those comics directed our community, maybe not directly, but they can harm, especially transgender women of color. And how do we advance that conversation to say, okay, it's one thing for me as a transgender comic to make a joke about my penis and what's going on in my life with my body, and I think I do it in quite a funny way, but it's another thing for somebody like a Dave Chappelle to get up there and go, oh, transgender people, that's just a funny situation. So how do, how do, how do we combat that? Yeah, it's, you know, I, I won't completely reject your premise because I don't think it's every comic, like I said. I don't know. It's we, not every comic. There's we a have, group. We, yeah, we definitely have, you know, like I say, you know, from my dovetailing from my last point, that there is enormous resources available for people to, you know, people write better jokes today. They really do. They do. They write better jokes. They write more creatively than, than we did when we started. Yeah. And they write is, from different perspectives as well. Right, well, right. It's a fairly new medium still. But I don't think that, I don't think that it's as, you know, I'm not going to say Dave Chappelle is an outlier, but I believe yeah, he's yeah. wildly I, I really, popular. He is, but as far as like his attitude about, you know, specifically transgender, when he said, you know, I can't stop writing jokes about these motherfuckers, you know, uh, that says something. That that really says something. Well, yeah, and like it's why? not. Why? And it's not. <laughs> and it's not constructive. But you know, the other argument is, well, you know, at least he's he's doing what a comic is supposed to do. He's coming out. He's being honest. He's establishing his point of view. And he's playing to a specific type of audience. Sure. The same way Louis C.K. has came back and he, he was all apologetic. I need, I need to, to be quiet and learn. And then he came out and did exactly the opposite of that. Yeah. He decided that this is yeah. how I'm going to make my money is by I'm going to be by targeting people so and it's laughing a, at them. It's a dichotomy. Yeah. It's a yeah. dichotomy at the same time as you want comics to be honest and you want them to come out and express their point of view but then we get we get caught up in the you know the tangled christmas lights of you know these are not constructive things you're saying so 
you know, there's the, well, you know, no censorship ever people. And then there's the, you know, the camp that I'd, I'd like to think that I'm in, which is don't, don't victimize people in groups for a laugh. You've got, you, you can do better than that. Well, and I look at Dave Chappelle's sticks and stones and I commented on this online is I think his bits about, I think there was some clever stuff within it. And so I'm not, I'm kind of in your camp as well. I, I don't believe in straight censorship, but I thought his his viewpoints on the gay and lesbian community, the some of the analogies he drew were spot on and were quite clever. And I thought his joke about, hey, for a transgender, your ba- your next bathroom's four states away. Yeah. I'm like, I love that. That's funny because it's a truth. It's a truth, and it showed it showed some empathy. I thought on his part for our situation as transgender right. people. So that part. So. I'm more nuanced than the saying, well, like some of the news outlets is like, well, fuck that guy. Well, you know. Well, yeah. And I, and I will tell you that that specific joke, and I'm glad you brought it up, uh, that I'm the parent of a transgender child. And every day I wonder, where is Jake going to go to the bathroom today? Well, I really don't know. And, yeah. and when my child, we're out at a restaurant or something and says, I have to go use the bathroom. I look to see which door. My mm-hmm. child is going to go into because I, I don't, I, I'm like, are you brave enough? Why should you have to be brave enough to I, go to the bathroom? And I held off on going to the bathroom today so I could get to a Starbucks and use the uni, uh, single seater unisex. Yeah, there are applications. I mean, it's, this goes back to the green book uh, of, 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 of black travelers in, in, in 1950s and 60s. Yeah. I have an application on my phone that will let me find... Uh, bathrooms. Ooh, what is Tra- that again? Trans friendly. Yeah, and I, I, I'm blanking on it. Actually, I, I updated my phone. I have but two years ago when I was doing my show, I was I, I had the the scariest two days of my life. Were driving from from Rochester to Minneapolis because I had to drive through a whole bunch of red state to get there. Right. And when you are on uh, hormones, uh, your bladder is not your own. <laughs> and no, so I it's was not. Uh, yeah. So I was making I was making liquid choices and hoping and sometimes it's like I'm, you know, going by the fact that, you know, I am a fairly imposed still. I'm still a fairly imposing physical presence. And just like, you know, I figure oh, I'll just, you know bullshit my way through here and let them think that I will kick their asses if because I still look like I might be able to um so I but it was it is it is a terrifying thing to do and when Dave Chappelle said that that was like yeah that that was it but then the other stuff about you know you know about the you know the the tea in the back of the car yeah Mm -hmm. that was like oh no he's going there and like my, my son saw that and he thought that was funny and I'm like I don't you know, it, we 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 ha- we are in an unfortunate position as people, and I think everyone in this room right now, we have empathy. Mm-hmm. We have empathy, and so we're in a precarious situation. That at on the one hand, we don't want to censor people because that's not what free speech is about. But at the same time, we wish they would make better choices with that freedom. And yep, you know, it's going to be one of these, you know. Dr. Martin Luther King, the the uh, the 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 arc of uh, you know, the arc of history is long, but it bends toward justice. Right. We have to say that you know we hope that the arc of understanding or the arc of empathy will 
you know, it's long, but it will eventually lead to acceptance. Right. And I'm, I'm also very aware uh, that, that we have people who are actually doing everything that they can in this, in this society, in, our, in, in the comedy world, in the Rochester comedy world, to, to try and make it a safe place for everybody. And so, like Woody, uh, just recently... Uh, was, you know, like there was a, there was a, I would call it a comedy kerfuffle, uh, regarding, uh, sounds so pleasant. I know it sounds so much pleasant than, than than, than many other ways that we could talk about. So Woody, I'm just going to let you, uh, give me your opinion about, uh, how you feel like when you, when you're running a room, what you will and will not allow. All right. So I've gone back and forth a lot over the course of the past six years of uh, hosting uh, open mics, or six and a half years now. And uh, I know, and, and, and just like Ralph was saying, like, I don't want to, uh, quote unquote, censor anybody. And, I, and it's, a, it's a big, strong word. And it sounds, uh, you know, uh, but it, uh, Ralph, isn't it true that at uh, the comedy club where you work, uh, comics are not allowed to talk about a certain subject matter? Yes. And that would be? Cancer. Okay, and the the owner has decided that he doesn't want co- uh, comedians on stage talking about cancer because cancer affects a lot of people, and people he feels have come to the comedy club for an escape from that for a little while, and cancer has touched his family. It's run a train on my family, mm-hmm. you know, as far as people that relatives that I've lost to cancer. So I support that, and. You know, this, it, I don't think is censorship. I think it's sensitivity, mm. and, you know, uh, and, and it's just, we're just asking performers to make a better choice. Right. Now, uh, is it true that because at your club, comics can't talk about cancer, that means that uh, nationwide they're not allowed to talk about cancer anywhere and that the police enforce that? Whoever's signing the check gets mm-hmm. the final say. Okay, so as it turns out, the comics have options if they want to tell certain uh, right. kinds of like, like they're, it, you, finding your audience is important, right? If they're married, yeah. If they're married to the cancer material, they're just not going to work my club. But that's one club yeah. out of out of thousands. All right. So my particular issue was, you know, uh, and it's less and less. And I really thought that it was. That at this point, because it happens so infrequently, that for me to make a statement about this was more about telling people out in the world that when you come to one of my shows, you don't have to put up with some certain kinds of nonsense, okay? Uh, that's mostly why I made a big post on public post on Facebook for people to see. Where really, it's like, hey, I want people to, I want audiences to know that there are some places you can go where there's, especially for an open mic, where it sounds pretty rough and tumble, that maybe it's just a tiny bit less, just a, just a, just this much less of a, of a, of a, of a potentially traumatizing experience for you. Yeah. And uh, so I put up a post saying, look, for, and because in response to a comic who was like chronically using the, uh, the R word, the, the R word slur for, uh, Develop, the, the developmentally eight. disabled. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, and I'm just like, I'm over it at this point. I don't think that there's at an open mic where people are uh, trying out jokes and where you don't know who's in the audience and where, uh, and, and, you know, and where your words are, uh, it's like you're, you're swinging a loaded gun around that you don't know how to use yet. 
Okay. Yeah. That's a great metaphor. You know what I mean? It really and, is. And so it's like, hey, maybe we could put some blanks in there just for just just until you get used to the grip of the thing and, and learn how to sight down the barrel and, you know, yeah. uh, figure out how to not shoot the guy in the, 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 the stall next to you. Right. So that's the idea. And I just said, hey, we're not going to use the R word at my shows anymore. And we're not going to make any uh, we're not going to make any any kind of punching down. Uh, against uh, against LGBT uh, people, et cetera. And, of course, everybody heard that and said, wow, Woody is smart and brave and wise. <laughs> no, oh, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. And <laughs> we should all follow his, because he is a comedy impersonator. Did you come to the parade? <laughs> <laughs> they made a parade in my audience. It was, I mean, it was embarrassing, but, they, but people did carry me on their shoulders yes. around the streets of Rochester. I thought yeah, I well, saw I ticker no. tape down were, Main see, Street. I, I, I thought I was looking for the Woody Bataglia frame, as opposed <laughs> Oh, Italian so yeah, parade. That, that was a, a parade. So that's, a, that's a different kind of parade that happens yeah, in West Toronto. Right. There was a parade. They did carry you, but they had picked forks and torches, and they were heading for a dumpster. So, that's but, what happened. But so they dogpiled on you, and like I've never seen before. Well, it's not. Uh, it I've been around it was a long like, time. It, but it's an it, open it, really, mind. it felt like people had been waiting for something that they felt like a smoking gun to finally do me in with. It was. It was so. It, and it was. It was so above and beyond. It was like. Guess what? You know, ninety nine percent of the people who are complaining are people who wouldn't make those jokes in the first place. Which yeah. is like, okay, so how is this? A, it, 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 it seems like a non issue. Also, uh, maybe it was because I used strong language where I said, "Look, if you do it at my mic, I'll turn your mic off or I'll take you off yeah. the stage." And I really just felt like it's time to put this word behind us. Just like anybody but black people have put have, have stopped using the N word, right? Just right. about all of them. Uh, except people like to cite Louis C.K. because he's such a great example of a of a stand up guy. Um, <laughs> so and and also I don't even think Louis C.K. would do that joke now. He did that joke uh, ten years ago, mm-hmm. and things have changed a lot in the last ten years. And it's on his album, the one where he the offensive words joke where he uses the yeah. N word and the C word and the and uh, the F word for he used uh, the, for gay people. The R word uh, for sure, because uh, I remember the bit. Yeah, and. You know, it, it, and it's like, it's not, it's not that jokes can never be funny. It's that, it's that you have to consider your audience and, you know, and, and why is it, why is it the, the most important thing for you as a standup to be like, I'm going to say some things that are definitely going to upset some people in this room. And that's my goal. It's like, wasn't the goal to entertain an audience? Right. But on the the flip side of that, so, but that's just, I'm going to. Is it up to you to, to ban words? Uh, I mean, I'm pretty sure that I'm the one putting on the show. Yeah, that's 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 the bottom line here. This is not a First <laughs> Amendment, and I keep on. Yeah, saying, it, I, it just, I, I didn't petition Congress to amend yeah, the Constitution. Yeah, yeah it, it, it just it just it just burns me to he oh it's First Amendment rights. That's not what the First Amendment is all about. No. And besides, this is more of a no shirt, no shoes, no service sort of thing. Right. Where if you want if you want to walk around in like board shorts and have your nipples hanging out, you can do that. You just can't do it in the in the, in the restaurant where they say no shirt, no shoes, no service. And I'm sure there are some restaurants that are fine with nipples. Yeah. <laughs> I you know what I look at it as? I look at it as Woody. No, put your blouse down, Amy. <laughs> I I look at Woody Amy knows, Amy knows of an Arby's where they're very cool. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Ralph. I, 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 I look at, honestly, I look at Woody. He is supervising. 
his particular showcase night, open mic at Firehouse Saloon or wherever else he may conduct one, right. he's, he's watching over it like a lifeguard at a public pool. And if he sees somebody doing something that's dangerous to the you know, public good, uh, or just plain old not cool. I'm just trying you know, to somebody's keep... sitting there flicking water in a little kid's face. You're gonna say, "Hey, hey, cut it out!" You know, you're you're doing something that's antisocial. Right. I, I'm trying to keep I'm trying to keep people in the seats, which I, which honestly makes this this makes the show better for all the comics on the show, and it's job security because the bar sells more beer. And, you know, and it's it's that kind of thing. It's just, you know, when I teach my class, I say, hey, we're just not going to do punching down jokes during this class. I said, when I said, when you get out of here, you know, via con Dios, do whatever you got to do. If, yeah. if you want if you want to be that kind of comic, that's totally fine. There's an audience for that. OK, but here, this is how I would like to conduct business, because I don't want that to get in the way of some people's learning experience in the class or alienate some of the people. And that's what it's all about. It's like looking around the room. And I think that the people in the room who are excited about jokes about the R word is shrinking. I think it's a I think it's going to become infinitesimally small and that and that anybody who's using it now and they're getting away with it or whatever, or it's working for them in certain places it's going to be less and less. And five years from now, just about nobody's going to be using it. You're and, very optimistic. And I actually, well, no, no, no. I think, well, <laughs> very optimistic. Open, mics are different. open mics are different because people are idiots. You know, they're new and they don't know what they're yeah. doing. And they're just trying, they're trying to get laughs on shock value because they don't know how to write proper jokes yet. Right. Right. Uh, which is why you should take my class. Plus, um, <laughs> yeah, well, where could they take your class, Woody? Uh, if you they could, were interested in. Uh, you should go to my Facebook page, uh, Woody Battaglia. Comed- uh, Woody Battaglia comedy. But it's spelled Battaglia. Yeah, it's, it's, spe- yeah, it's spelled with a silent G just like lasagna. Um, <laughs> that's how the Italian language works. I didn't make it up. <laughs> okay. So, <laughs> all right. So, uh, yeah, here's the thing. Or you can email me at uh, brunchtowncomedy at gmail.com. If you, uh, you know, Amy took my class. I've had. I find I w- that offensive. By I would way. just like to say that, <laughs> brunch, that it's brunch, a- brunch is offensive because. I don't get up until afternoon. Well, that's that's prime. Well, brunch so, time is until I don't know one. I've never gone to brunch. In my never life. gone to a brunch. <laughs> well, I guess between brunch, it's, it's a real. You gotta have some brunch, Ralph. It's great. There's mimosas. There's. Uh, I don't drink. I'm trying to rebrand. Rochester's known as the Flower City. I'm trying to rebrand it as Brunch Town, USA. Mm. Yeah. And uh, Brunch Town on the Garbage Marble. You're really good at like at, at, at doing things. I like. Yeah. I'm a. I'm a. I'm a brand. You're a coiner of phrases. Yeah. That's right. A coiner of phrases. That is, and it's, and I, and I'm just gonna jump in here and say that this is probably in the history of our. It's not a long history, but in the history of our doing shows, this is the least that Amy and I have. Had to work to put together an hour. Oh, wait, wait, yeah, Ralph we and I said, know how to talk. We just said hi, and then it's like, well, we're running <laughs> late, and so goodbye. So right. I want to thank you both for coming here. Oh, thanks. It's been it's been wonderful. Uh, it's, uh, there's so many things that that, uh, that I have been learning from both of you about comedy. Um, for me, I think I'm just really glad that there are so many different places that people can work out their comedy and and make sure that they if they find out if this is for them and actually create them create a, uh, a I don't want to say career because it may not happen for most of us uh, just a, a little space a space for themselves to be funny and find out if this is for 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 us for the, for them and that they're so happy about that and yeah. what did you learn 
I learned that, you know, we need to continue to advocate for ourselves, I think, within the circles that we operate in and we operate within comedy and storytelling. And so I think we need to be able to advocate for ourselves and push those envelopes that that push for everybody, just not for the people at the top of the food chain. And I and I think, you know, Woody and Ralph are doing that in their own ways and they've been great advocates. And I know Woody, I just thank Woody for all the opportunity, the advice and everything he's been an tremendous um, influence and tremendous help for me as I've started my little comedy adventure. That's very, that's, that's very super kind of you. That's, I mean, I mean, that's, uh, aside from the, the paltry amount of money that I charge, that's, uh, and how much is that? It's a, it's a 150 bucks for eight weeks. It's like you could, a community college course would cost you six times that much. And a, uh, a yeah. 150. I uh, I'm just announcing now that I am starting a comedy class for 149 dollars. <laughs> oh, right. curses! Uh, <laughs> oh, look 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 what we've done here, Amy. We're gonna drive this price down to three bucks. Yeah, Wednesday nights. Exactly. Three bucks and a half a sandwich. Bring, <laughs> bring me a cookie. <laughs> Ralph Tedda, the, the amazing Ralph Tedda, a great friend, a dear friend. Thank you so much for spending time with us today. Hey, I love you. I'd do it anytime. You want right. anytime you want me. Yeah, seriously, I, I, I can't tell you how much uh, I really uh, enjoyed the show. I've been listening to it, and uh, especially I listened to it with, with uh, Megan Mack and Evan Dawson. It was uh, lovely. They're delightful. Yep. yep. And Woody oh, Battaglia, thank you all so very much. Woody Battaglia, thank you so much for coming in. And Ralph, it was a pleasure meeting you out in the parking lot tonight, even though you look yep. like a homeless guy. But I really did. Yeah. <laughs> Well, we're going to wrap it up here tonight. Thank you very much for being a, a supporter of Transformation Thursday. Come to our Patreon page if you really want to help keep this thing going. So, Amy, I think there's nothing left for us to do but say good night. And TransformationThursday.com will get you to the Patreon page. Good night, Penny. Good night, Amy. Bye-bye. Bye.